You are listening to an irreverent podcast. Visit irreverent.fm for more content from our friends. Activist theology is built on the power of story, and we believe story can change the world. We also know that being in community with one another on this journey will help to build a movement committed to collective liberation and a more loving world. We have a commitment to the ethics and politics of Encajunto, or togetherness. And we are together in this work with you. Hi, folks. This is Dr. Robin. And this is Reverend Anna Galladay. And we are your hosts for the Activist Theology Podcast. It's time for all of us to get our hands dirty. So, so very excited. Here we are. We have another opportunity to talk with a scholar of religion, this time a a biblical scholar whose uh, scholarship is rooted in the prophets. Very exciting. Yes, we're thrilled to be um, again at the American Academy of Religion in Denver, and we're welcoming to the Activist Theology podcast, Steed Davidson. Um, Steed is, as Roberto said, um, a Hebrew scholar. Um, He is also the Dean of McCormick. And so we're thrilled that you're with us. We're thrilled that you're here. Um, Why don't you tell folks a little bit more about yourself and let people know kind of how you come at the work and, and, and where you find yourself these days. Well, thank you for this exciting opportunity to be in this conversation with both of you. Um, my work is in Hebrew Bible and most, la- most largely situated within prophetic studies. And, and I come at it from the post-colonial angle. And, and of course, <clears throat> I try to understand the post-coloniality in its broader sense of how um, indigenous societies were reproduced, produced by these imperializing functions and, of course, the subjects in those spaces also racialized, gendered, um, you know, rendered economically <laughs> unsound, and all of those things as a result of the, the, um, the sort of imperial project. And so that's the lens I take to reading um, biblical prophets and the Bible in general. Now, why do I do this is because as I was writing today, I, I remember that you know, in my early education, my early theological education, I was formed by a number of scholars who were involved in various independence and decolonial movements. So they had a particular heightened sensibility in that, that, that was in some ways Marxist inflected, that was revolutionary um, in, in, its, in, in its essence. Um, and it was a privilege for me to learn from them and to pick up some of those particular things in terms of where we are in the, in, in, in the world. And of course, if, they, if your listeners can detect, uh, I, I come from a particular part of the world, the Caribbean, where we experienced uh, almost all varieties of European imperialism. We had the British, we had the French, we had the Spanish, we had the Dutch, we had the Danes, mm-hmm. right? Um, the Latvians were, were, were tried to do something. Oh, those Latvians. <laughs> yeah, on my island for a while. Uh, yeah. I mean, so, so you know, the, the full gamut of, if, if there was a European power that thought that it had a stake in the rest of the world, they came to parts of the Caribbean. And of course, what, what happened was they brought all of the rivalries of Europe with them 
the religious, the social, the cultural. Mm -hmm. The ones that survive are the religious. So then we have a, a, a variety of Christianities that are uh, like, hmm, congregationalist, where did those come from, <laughs> right? right. L Lutheranism right. Is, is older in the Caribbean than it is in North America um, because of, you know, where did it come from? Danish imperialism right. on, the, on, the, on the Virgin Islands. So that's kind of my background. I was born on the, the island of Tobago, part of Trinidad and Tobago, which has, a, again, <clears throat> just in that space, with these two islands that are were merged together by the British, because like you know what we really don't want to spend a whole lot of money on right. trying to keep two colonies. It's better right. to have one. Right. Um, They're into the consolidation of power. They, yeah, they yeah, exactly, exactly. And even in terms of the mechanisms of right. rule, it was crown colony government. We don't have to have a governor and all of you know. No. These sorts of things are the legacies um, that that I inherited. Um, growing up, and that's in, in some ways you want to say part of my DNA, part of the, the, uh, the things, and, and, and I haven't even started to mention slavery yet. Right. Right. <laughs> um, so, there's, so there's a whole lot of, of that, that, that's in me. And to bring that together, these are regimes of power that operated under Christianity, in some ways influenced by the Bible. Right. So, so to come at the Bible, I can't come at it as if it is an innocent book. Mm -hmm. um, I have to come at it knowing that it is complicit in the histories that created the, the environment within which I grew up. And it, and it is complicit in the shape of the modern world and, and how, how things continue to function. You know, even though Europe has in some ways retreated from, from its sort of a deep involvement with Christianity, the foundation is still there. Right. Still, right. still present. So I was not long ago in Chicago. Mm -hmm. I was doing some recording with my teacher, Dr. Nancy Bedford, who we exchange voice memos on the daily and we're constantly sort of doing theology in this epistolary conversational way. It's interesting. And <laughs> um, I made a comment about... Um, uh, Maybe Marx was right around the economic supremacy of capitalism. Mm -hmm. And she replied, and we have this on tape. Uh -huh. She replied, well, remember, the Hebrew prophets came before Marx and said the same thing. Mm -hmm. So it's no surprise to you. We are living in precarious times. We we were once together at uh, in the before times yes. in 2019 yes. yeah. at at an event uh, where uh, you gave a really compelling um, study on uh, prophetic literature and and we were in a church context in the American South and Anne and I both live in Tennessee, which is highly compromised by the extreme right mm -hmm. and um, crystal fascism and theocratic fascism. And what we see in both of our contexts, and we live about two hours away from each other, and yeah. is in Chattanooga and I'm in Nashville, is that, and I think other people in the American South uh, experience this too, and maybe you see this in Chicago, is that people are using the Bible to justify violence against those who maybe are don't align with the dogma of the Christian faith, whatever dogma means, or 
you know, they're they're not they don't have the right belief or the or the proper orthodoxy, mm-hmm. right? So, the Bible then becomes a weapon, right? And you, and you talk about how the Bible is deeply compromised by the process of collection, canonization, councils that came after it, and so forth. And so, you know, on the Activist Theology podcast, we try to connect the dots for people and to give them theological education outside the academy that they can consume and incorporate into their life and live out. So how do we how do we get folks to read the Bible well who are, who don't have access to your classes mm-hmm. or my classes or other people's classes? And and how do we how do we minimize the ways in which the Bible has become a weapon towards those who are different? Yeah. Yeah, this is a very good question. And one of the first impulses I have is for us to interrogate uh, the necessity to read the Bible. Um, and but, but I want now, to now talk tell you, about our, our, our context. Pe- people, people want to read it. People yes. want to read yes, it. Yes, exactly. In yeah. fact, yeah. I just gave a talk at a Church of Christ church uh, on the issue of transgender experience. Mm-hmm. And, and I first said, well, a people group is not an issue, just like black people are not an issue, mm-hmm. just like immigrants mm-hmm. are not an issue, right. just like disabled people are not an issue. And then they began to quote scripture to me. So these people are really tied mm-hmm. to this book. So I can imagine when they hear this comment from you, <laughs> they are raising their eyebrows. Precisely, their precisely. Answer on yeah, yeah, precisely. And 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 I and I think it's an important it's an important question to, in some ways get them to interrogate the presumptions that they have around the Bible. Because um, largely the impulse, let me quote the scriptures for you, let me quote this for you, let me tell you this. The impulse comes from an unexamined space that this thing just suddenly materialized, that it, it, is as, it, is, it is as old as the earth, it is as old as human beings, it is as old as ever, it is as truthful as. Right. And you could multiply those things. So, so in one sense, what I, what I think is an important thing is to get people to come back at the, 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 the work, asking, where does it come from? Whose interest is it serving? So some of that is, on, is unquestioned. And you could see how, if they don't do that, they're not going to act. They're not going to interrogate the presumptions around economic formation, political organization, right, right. social. You know all of those right. different types of things. Right. So, so that I, I I hear what you're saying, and I and I completely acknowledge that that that's the group we're yeah. dealing with. So, like I say, let's let's park that aside for yeah. a while. Yeah. But just, and we put it out there. And I know you, you, you're probably, what, tearing your hair out or doing whatever other things because these godless people right. <laughs> who don't believe the Bible want to take it away from us. Right. right. I know that's probably right. what you're saying, but let's just bracket that. And, you know, and, you know I, I actually love the Bible. Mm-hmm. I have found mm-hmm. myself mm-hmm. sort of, I mean, I stopped reading the Bible for a little bit, a long time, um, because I'm trained in theology, philosophy, and ethics, you know. Right. And so who needs the Bible for that? But But in my context... That is people's guiding light. So I have found myself returning to the first things, returning to the historical critical method, returning to biblical hermeneutics. How do we yes. how do we cultivate a biblical hermeneutics that is not grounded in a hyper literalism that that is actually what we're seeing the weaponization mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So so we can park it for a little bit, mm-hmm. um, but but I know that. Um, when I when I get up and give a talk, and I quote some scripture from whatever, 
let's just say the revelation of John. Mm-hmm. People don't realize that John is speaking about the Roman Empire from an island watching it right. fall. You know, they don't have that context. So what do we do? Right. So some of this has to get people to appreciate that within the Bible, you're going to find the forces that are moving towards liberation and uh, of, of people and the ones that are trying to entrap them and keep them and, and keep them long. Those forces are then all can be seen and witnessed in, in every way. So one comes to the Bible asking, whose interest is it serving? Who does it want to get free? Who does it want to improve and, 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 and get up? From whose clutches mm-hmm. is liberation being, be, being looked at? And, and, and to imagine the people who are absolutely oppressed. Quite often, the reading position that people come to the Bible is, I want to be on the winning side. I want to be on the side that has the power, that is cleaning things up, that is actually trying to get rid of all of the bad people, and so on. That's that's the frame. Now, if you start to switch it from a liberative point of view, whose liberation is it advocating? Mm -hmm. Whose freedom? Is it it, 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 it it is seeking and who are the ones who have those people in their grips that it's trying to that you know that God is trying to get on the side right. of that's a different shift mm-hmm. um, and and I know that's a very hard one because quite often what people have actually the construct that they work is work with is God is on the side of the powerful. God is on the side of those who get to wield the weapons. Mm-hmm. God is on the side of those who can do the violence, right? Mm-hmm. right? Um, because right is might, right? Uh, regardless of how narrowly construed that rightness looks and feel, feels like. So, and and I think that's that. There, the vast majority of people could come to that. The problem that we have are those who are churched, mm-hmm. uh-huh. who can't come to that because of the theologies upon which they have been schooled. Mm-hmm. Theologies which basically talk about how God is an endorser of slavery. Right. God is an endorser of empire. Right. God is an endorser of oppressive governments. God, God stands and, on, on, on and those And they use pieces. the Bible to, to say that. I mean, you know, they find these scripture passages yeah. in, in the Bible. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and let's not think that they're coming by this of their own knowledge mm-hmm. and own reading mm-hmm. and own volition. Right. Mm-hmm. Told I mean, they are being yes, guided that's right. That's right. from an ancestral mm-hmm. standpoint, mm-hmm. generation upon generations of preachers mm-hmm. and and denominations, cir- circuit riders mm-hmm. and yes. denominations and um, you know writings that have informed this. And so it's a it's a layering effect yes. of. You know, the ones in in most of our vantage points, the ones that are doing the most harm in weaponizing the Bible against others are not the ones who have been deeply studying right. biblical teaching, um, but they are informed by the handful mm-hmm. that have studied the Bible through a lens yes. of power mm-hmm. and prestige and, and structures mm-hmm. that are unforgiving. Mm-hmm. And it is, I mean, it's just this big, massive pyramid scheme <laughs> of, of, of harm yeah. that is being yeah. perpetuated by a few. Yeah. 
Well, and, and even Jeopardy didn't get uh, <laughs> you know, oh, Jeopardy oh, didn't get it right. Oh, oh. You don't get me started. <laughs> right. Don't get me started on that one. I'm like, okay, all of us with PhDs in, in Bible would have gotten the answer wrong. <laughs> I would have gotten the answer wrong. Right. But, yeah. but, but can you look at it another way? If, if liberation and freedom is a little too difficult for people, one of the other ways in which I, I, I like to think about it is informed by, by Augustine. Let's look at it from, lo- from the perspective of love. If love becomes your you know, central reading, how is God as a loving entity displayed in this particular Bible? Right. Who does God love? Where is the love of God there? How is this an expression of the loving God? Because the problem that we were just describing is a theology that's so narrow, so limited, so parochial, so um, so sectarian mm-hmm. that that God cannot be universal and omnipresent and all, all of the other things that we want to. So how can we now have a more expansive theological vision? And, and love could be one of those ways that we could look at it. Now, it, 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 it tends to feel a little bit uh, sentimental to some people. But when we start to drill down into the love we're talking about, we're not talking about sentimentality. Right. Right? It's a love now that is seeking the best interest of everyone and seeking the best interest, particularly of those who are weak and small and right. insignificant and left out and downtrodden and, and all of right. those, now those I can, things. I can imagine some of our listeners are raising their eyebrows again with the introduction of Augustine here because Augustine has reinforced or the ways in which people have used Augustine have reinforced a kind of anthropology for, uh, shall we say, um, people who are sexually different or otherwise gendered Mm. uh, don't feel simpatico with Augustine. Mm. However, okay. yes, mm-hmm. I tend to reclaim all this, sure. which makes me a very complicated figure yes. in, mm-hmm. in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but can you help us re- help our listeners relax when they hear the introduction of Augustine? Because I think you're making an important yeah. point here. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, you know, true, true. Augustine is problematic. And I would not quote, I would, I would hardly drill down into Augustine's visions his vision of the of the two kingdoms because that's become deeply problematic from an imperialistic point right. of view. Exactly, right. you know. So, so I I walk cautiously, and 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 selectively with him because yes, like several individuals, he's a complex, complicated individual who in many in many ways mm-hmm. gave a little that's that's useful and some that's 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 right. problematic. So, you know, I I don't mind schol- in a, from a scholarly perspective picking and choosing and rejecting and. And throwing right. things off. Just as was Pilate. Just as was Moses. So, I mean, like, yes, it's like yes. the, that complicated problematic yes, piece. Yes. Is, it, it, I mean, we have to, all of that has to have a, a yeah. critical analysis yeah. behind it. Yeah, yeah. No, they, and, 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 and it's an important way for us then in some ways to, to say, look, we are, we, we are not, we should not be creating saints in that very narrow conception of the term. We should not be creating heroes again. We should not be creating, uh, um, as, it, as, it, as it were, kind of standard bearers. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think human beings have the capacity to do that. Right. And if we, if we get away from that, 
then we could work with the weaknesses of individuals, historical individuals, and some of, and some of their strengths, knowing that you know, you're not going to be determinative for, for everything. Mm -hmm. You're not going to be the, the person that is going to be uh, defining how the society is. is so so in, in that way. Now, why I, why I go there, it's larger because I think that that's one of the contributions of the Lutheran Reformation, theologically and, and in terms of biblical mm -hmm. hermeneutics, that I, that I find quite, quite useful. How, how, in some ways, Luther was able to rescue a Bible that you know, had no relevance to the ordinary human being from, from what was happening within the, um, the, the, the papacy where once, you know, one person was aligning. I mean, I, mean, I, I tend to call to talk about it as, um, as imperial Christianity. So because there's this tie of Christianity and, and, and Roman imperialism that's, 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 that's there. So that's the lens that you have. Yeah. And if you have a, that lens that's largely oppressive domineering, you know, one of the things that then Luther says is let's let's, let's shift this and, and see now how we can in some ways democratize what's going right, on. Right. I mean, he doesn't go fully as as I would you know would really want him to right. go. Kind of frees things up for the for priests and nuns and the religious workers. Yeah, he doesn't sure. do it for ordinary people. Right, right. <laughs> so I mean, so there are limits there. In many ways, I mean, you can say the same for for John Wesley. I mean, you know, I mean mm -hmm. you know, reclaiming mm -hmm. biblical teaching for mm -hmm. the poor mm -hmm. in England, mm -hmm. away from the Church of England, mm -hmm. who was historically saying, you know, peasants and, and factory workers have no place in these churches. Right. And Wesley was saying, hard pass. No, like, I'm taking this word to them. Yeah. And I'm making sure that they understand the the means by which they are given mm -hmm. um you know the, the kind of grace the provenient grace right. that 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 he calls on god to 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 you know to bestow so mm -hmm. yeah there's there are so many plumb lines there. yes yes yeah where we see the the, the sort of a i mean in some of the reclaiming of a, of, of some deep traditions mm -hmm. biblical traditions that some sometimes get 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 lost and who knows? We're probably um, awaiting <laughs> um, voices to rise up mm -hmm. and call us back to that. These mm -hmm. masses who listen to to your wonderful yeah. uh, podcast are in need of it. And, and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're calling it into the <laughs> so, talk, talk about talk about the masses. We we did um, a series on uh, uplifting Asian voices uh -huh. during during the uptick of violence yes. against Asian yeah. peoples. Yeah. We lost half our listenership. Oh my goodness! Mm -hmm. Which just tells me that we've got a lot of work to do. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But yeah. so I want to go back to this Bible thing because mm -hmm. you have talked about the complicitness of Roman imperialism and biblical hermeneutics, and that's really what people are getting in their churches yes. today. Yeah. And so I'm thinking about some of the prophets, mm -hmm. in particular Isaiah, mm -hmm. and. In Isaiah, you know, we have a compilation of compilation of really books, you mm -hmm. know, first Isaiah, second Isaiah, third Isaiah, but we just have one book in the Bible called Isaiah. Mm -hmm. And we know from history that uh, they, the people that Isaiah is writing about, uh, the author of Isaiah is writing about that it's the Assyrian kingdom that has attacked him. Uh, uh, maybe, maybe other kingdoms mm -hmm. that yes. have attacked Over time. them. Yeah, there will be. Mm -hmm. And and so it feels very relevant to mm -hmm. our moment right mm -hmm. now. But how many churches are talking about 
the history or the historical memory of the books, particularly the, the prophets and the prophetic literature. Yeah. Um, we, we talk a lot in um, these progressive spaces and I don't identify as a progressive. Um, I'm much more of a liberationist and, sure, and I'm sure. interested in mm-hmm. ethical futures. But in progressive spaces, they always talk about prophetic imagination, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? And it's the thing that we need right now mm-hmm. in the face of crystal fascism, mm-hmm. theocratic fascism. But how do we get our churches or the common people to begin to read the Bible in a way to see these layered things and to have a historical memory. Yeah. Oh, oh, I I think the last thing you ended on is is, is the important part because it is the historical and social amnesia that, 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 that kills us. Right. Because without that, there is the, 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 the linkages and the contexts and the relationships between these different things is, is lost. So things get presented to people as if, oh, this just started happening yesterday. Right. Um, and, and this group is a problem because, you know what, and, and why they are a problem and where, how, what, what the source of them being a problem is is hardly ever, meant, ever explained. Or the us, who they're a problem to, we just always seem innocent. So, right. so, so it's the, the, the memory that's always uh, a problematic. One of the things I, I tend to do with, with, with prophetic studies, because we're doing deeper and more critical work, is in some ways to, to show how the literatures that we have don't always live up to our expectation of the figure of the prophet. Mm. Right? So, that, so that essentially the literature that we have wasn't produced by the prophet. Right. You know, we're dealing with stuff that's produced hundreds in, you know, of years after this figure, this figure lived. And, and the people who are putting it together captures some of the fervor, some of the anti-establishment um, positions, some of the, the, the liberationist um, tendencies. You get some of that. But some of that is in some ways now co-opted in some fairly narrower perspectives. Because if imagine what the prophetic voice looks and feels like in the immediacy of the crisis, you know, the imperial crisis, the attack of the Babylonians, et cetera, et cetera. And there's this sharp critique of collusion with, with imperial power right. and, and all of that. that. That feels one way. When that, those words now get replicated, when there is no external empire, mm-hmm. but the the thing that could stand in for the empire are us now the elites, right? Right. It's like, uh-uh, we can't have that said because they will start looking at us mm-hmm. as that voice started to critique the imperial. So, so some of it can, can be in some ways compromised, toned down a bit. And that requires a lot of sort of careful, careful reading. But, but here's, the, here's the thing. What I'm describing here are the kinds of ways people in social movements are attentive to the use of power, yeah. mm-hmm. right? Because we, part of the, and, and you're, you're correct in terms of, of, of saying this in terms of progressive, is, is that there is a, a kind of a idealistic right. view that righteousness is on our side and, 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 and all of that. Whereas people in social movements understand, well, we're dealing with humans. And, 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 and the, 
the movement that triumphs over evil, so-called, today, easily becomes the oppressive ethic. Right. If you're not self-critical, if you aren't right. attentive to certain things. Right. And so we're seeing some of those sort of things happening within prophetic, prophetic literature. And if we bring sensibilities from, 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 from social movements and the kinds of sensibilities where people are suspicious about who, if there's one single dominant leader, you know, that, that's, that's a problem. Yeah. If there's this one dominant voice that's controlling, if there's a group that's, yeah. that's sort of doing stuff and excluding people, the, if we bring those sensibilities to reading those biblical texts, then we can, we can find in them much richer resources for some of the work that we wish to do. And I think, and I think that's, that's a very important thing, again, in, in, in terms of trying to, if, if you want to call it, dismantle that kind of um, imperial Christianity that, 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 in, that in some ways takes, a, takes you know, the sort of a, um, form of liberalism, and I'm talking about liberalism of the Enlightenment kind, um, that, that, that basically says we are the good ones yeah. and they are the bad ones. Right. And so they co-opt the, the biblical text, they co-opt the prophets for, for a cause um, that seems like it's good and liberating, but basically it's like, no, you've got to come be like us. Right, <laughs> right. And not like them. You have to conform. Yeah. Which is another yeah. Like yeah. form of consolidating power. Yes, yes. Which is what's yes. happening right now. Right. Now, we talk about that all the time in the social justice movement. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, we are mm -hmm. we are we are becoming the same oppressor we yes. are seeking to yes. dismantle when we co-opt the power and think that our way of justice and our way to justice is the only way mm -hmm. or right. the right way. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So I know that we we have said put the Bible aside for a minute, but mm -hmm. if if we were going to read the Bible, mm -hmm. which is a big if, yeah. What version of the Bible should we read? There's so many versions out there. Oh, I, I would say I would say you know just read the, read the newest the translation and, and of course because we're here with the ARSBL, I have to say that newest one is the NRSVUE, the NRSV updated edition. Um, you know, I, I, I participated on one of the the, the translation of, of one of the books, and yeah, it's 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 a step ahead. Um, and, and, you know, I, I shock students when I say, okay, you're not going to use the King James Version here. We're not going to do it, mm -hmm. right? Because for the kind of a work that you want to do, it's not going to be very useful. Right. You're dealing with, with English that's 400 years old. Right. And, and that's, that's, that, that's really complicit with imperial, uh, imperializing right. notions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I would say, you know, get your hand on the newest, more critical Version so the NRSV tends to be one. The CEB has some, you know, come on English Bible mm -hmm. um, has some 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 benefits. Um, there's an update to the new international version, you know, that's kind of the one in the evangelical stream mm -hmm. that tends also to be a little good if if you want to really be more evangelical. It's it's better than doing mm -hmm. the the King James versions yeah. and some older ones. Um, so those are the ones I would suggest. And then you know I, I've been reading the NRSV since I was in college. Mm -hmm. um, because I felt like it was closest to uh, the languages. Yeah, and right. I studied mm -hmm. two years of Hebrew and two years of Greek, and, and I don't get those years back ever. <laughs> and all those hours of translating, I don't, I don't get that time back. Um, so I've been reading the NRSV for a long time, and, and I find that um, either my students or maybe when I give a talk at church, uh, 
they they were gifted a Bible, yeah. and that's just what they go yeah, with. Right. And and so when I sort of shed some light on the politics of translation and things mm-hmm. being lost in translation, mm-hmm. it's uh, it, it disturbs them, you yeah. know. Mm-hmm. But 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 that is the time that we live in. That yeah. that is part of the scholarship, and we all know that agendas bring. <laughs> people bring their agenda into mm-hmm. translation projects. Yes. Right. 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 Yeah. So I, I would love to kind of pose a follow-up question to that kind of version of the Bible. I, I feel that, I feel that there are so many folks who once they really understand the nuance and the historical um, kind of undergirding of our biblical text, realize how little they know. Yes. From a, a historical standpoint, from a political standpoint, um, from a, a standpoint of knowing uh, the intimacies of the author or authors and, and where those um, proclivities for the way they write come from. Mm-hmm. What are, where, where else do we go to interrogate um, our, or to supplement mm-hmm. our, 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 this new found reading of our biblical text. What are there resources you suggest? Are there kind of historical, um, understandings that you think are important? I mean, I feel like the people that listen to this podcast want to figure out like the what's next, mm-hmm. yeah. like, okay, mm-hmm. I know, I know now what I've done wrong or where I've come at this wrong. I I know, I know now how I should um, read this afresh or and anew if I decide to read it at all. But I also recognize that there's a whole lot I don't know behind the scenes of what's been happening. What are those other kind of pieces and parts? I mean, without, you know, enrolling in seminary or where, where else do they go for that additional support or that additional um, kind of information to help inform the reading? Yeah. Well, one of the the, the places I would would say there are um, a number of my colleagues who are emerging scholars and well, we're probably no longer emerging. We are probably (laughs) much, much further along. And 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 I'm thinking of a number of people who are scholars of color who in many ways have taken a different approach to how we read the Bible. Mm. So if if this is not unique to, to the reading of the Bible, this is kind of how we have been taught how to read a, a text, asking the who, what, when, where, why kinds of questions. Um, and what we recognize is that's not a useful way to read the Bible because sometimes we don't know who, mm-hmm. particularly in the Hebrew Bible, we don't, we don't know who the writer is. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes we don't even know when. And, and these books are set in a historical setting, but that's not the time they were actually right, written right, and compiled right, in. Right. So, so you have to keep paying attention or to different the stories time that were passed along yeah. prior to it being right, written. Right, even, even the earlier earlier life, that's the pre-life right. of some of the, 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 the stories. So, so those aren't always the, the most useful questions um, to, be, to be asking. Mm. Um, take for instance, I, I think I, I really like the work that my colleague Will Gaffney does on a womanist midrash. Yes. Now, basically, one of the things that she wants to do is to say, as a reader, 
try to center yourself. And and again, that's a very hard thing. And your 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 listeners might be pulling out what little here they have left after all right. of this. <laughs> right. Is, after you told them not to read the Bible. Yes. Center yourself as the reader, rather than thinking that what you're doing is on the quest for a treasure mm. that's hidden there that you have to find. Whereas you're bringing a treasure mm -hmm. to meet at what's already there. Mm. So, so it's this uni union. And, and that's sort of part of one of the, the, the things that someone like, like Will is going to school people mm -hmm. and readers in, into trying to, to get and to come to terms with. Now, another one of my, my, my brilliant colleagues who I like, of course, he, he's not in the US. He's, I mean, he, as he would call himself, um, he's in, in, in Pacifica. He's, he's from Tonga, but he, he, he operates out of Australia. So he's in that particular area mm -hmm. of, the, of the world. That's doing a, a similar thing. Zione Javier, J-I-O-N-E, um, Javier, <coughs> who again tends to ask, um, now, what, know that the Bible is here. What do we do with it? <laughs> what do we do with it? What have people been doing with it? And, and and for him, it's like, okay, we have stories, or cultures have stories, or cultures are storytelling cultures um, over and over again. Mm -hmm. How do we then bring the Bible together with those, with those stories, rather than saying, you know what, your local stories, they're no good, they have no value, they don't teach you anything, they don't get you close to God, let's just discount them and replace them with the Bible. His thing is... No, how we read these two things together. Mm -hmm. How how do we go back and forth between between them? So so some of the, what what I'm what I'm suggesting in terms of resources are in a in a, in a way how we move a different in a different direction with okay. with the, with the reading of the Bible to becomes much more productive. In other words, part of the idea is we don't think that truth is stored in the past, and our task is to journey into the past to re retrieve it and bring it to our times. We do believe the truth is, is there and there and here mm -hmm. as well. Um, and, and again, it goes to a particular theology where we, we believe that God said a word and it remained there and nothing ever happened. Mm -hmm. If you want to believe... Dust. Dust is what happened. <laughs> Dust. <laughs> yeah. That's what you want to believe that that, that, that word is true, alive, mm -hmm. and functioning. Mm -hmm. It is immediate, and it is an, an immediate in the present events of our lives that are, that are, that are taking mm -hmm. place. And so, is in, so so uh, the, the the act of reading the Bible is how it animates and and energizes the word that God is speaking today. So uh, so <laughs> I can imagine you would not say there's an absolute truth relative to the Bible. Because if the truth is in the past, in the present, in the future, that sounds like truth is becoming. Yes, and emerging. yes, yes, yes. yes. There's a relationality Precisely. with self and other yes. and truth. Because I only, I only dabble with process theology. <laughs> I will take a little bit of your beat. <laughs> and say yes, that, yes. I mean, and it's, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a way for us to do, to do that wonderful work that you do and others who do with process theology and, and, and look at it from a biblical perspective as well. In, in, in some ways to see how, how God evolves with us and the word, 
you know, as an utterance and as a witness to God is also evolving right. rather than being rather than being static. Right. No, it's I, dynamic. It is dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I know that, again, there are certain religious, social and legal impulses that want to resist that right. and, you know, work with ossification instead. But, but we, we recognize that what, what that gets us is, 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 is death, destruction, mm-hmm. decay, right? Mm-hmm. Oppression. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I say us, I mean all of us, because it might appear as if, well, more people suffer than others, and there, there's some who, who, who appear to be doing well. They only appear to be doing well because we are all on this little marble that's headed for something that we really don't know right. as a result of the actions of the, that, those kind of a dead theologies, those right. dead legalisms that, that we want to hold on to. So you mentioned a word in the very beginning that about that what your scholarship is based in, and that word is post-colonial. Yep. That may be a new word for people. Mm-hmm. Could you, you know, if people are like, oh, I want to, I'm interested in that word. Um, could you give people maybe a book that you might recommend to, for them to, because the people who listen to this podcast are their readers mm-hmm. they're um, curious and so they may they may say oh postmodern biblical interpretation mm, yeah what book is that oh okay <laughs> well well since others have been doing it let me let me let me promote the, the very easy volume that i wrote um four years ago called writing reading the bible from in, in post-colonial perspective okay and so that gives a good basic introduction it's just about a hundred and something pages okay um, so very, fairly fairly easy read for it um, and by post-colonial, we're basically trying to see, uh, to think beyond the experiences and legacies of colonialism. Yeah. Um, and and it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's, it's an assertion that there is a space, there is a time, there is life beyond the constructs of empire. That that, that 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 we have created so, so it's just pushing beyond beyond that and here we are creating ethical futures together on this podcast it's been a joy to have you here thank you thank you steve so much it's a gift well thank you for having me it was a pleasure thank you we want to thank you for listening this week we encourage you to share this podcast with your community if you enjoy us and our work in the world please give us five stars on your podcast platform. Want to help support this podcast? Go to activisttheology.com and click on podcast. We can only do this work with the help of you, our listeners. You have no idea how much even a small monthly or one-time gift means to this work. The music you hear in this episode is Hands Dirty by Delta Ray. Our sound editor is Dan Medley, from 10 South Sounds. I get my hands dirty. I show up so early. They show me no mercy. So I just keep working. Maybe God could save me. Oh, my boss, my payment. You are listening to an irreverent podcast. Visit irreverent.fm for more content from our friends.